Thank you for joining our IAB There special streaming edition powered by Hulu with your host, IAB's Brad Behrens. Over to you, Brad. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Brad Behrens. I'm the editor-in-chief here at the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to IAB There streaming edition powered by Hulu. It's Monday, June 29th. Uh, on today's show, we will be looking back at New Fronts 2021, which ended last week. It was an exciting week. A ton came out of it. We're going to go over what we learned from New Fronts in three in two segments. We first we have we'll be joined by uh, Eric John of the Video Center of Excellence and David Cohen, IAB's president. Then uh, we'll go on and we'll have a follow up segment with View from the Buy Side with Adam Gerber of Essence and John Anselmo of Omnicom. And finally, we're pleased today to welcome MJ Kroll from Lexus, who will be interviewed by Nina Munoz of the Video Center about innovation in advertising in streaming platforms. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Let's bring our first panel onto the stream. That's David Cohen, uh, the president of the IB, and Eric John, the director of the Video Center of Excellence. Welcome, guys. Good to see you. It's been about 10 minutes, Brad. Good to see you, too. <laughs> it, has, it, just, it hasn't been that long. Uh, so, okay, um, sorry. David, let's start with you. From your seat, you have joined the IAB only in April, but you were a longtime uh, buy-side attendee at the New Fronts. What's the biggest difference? Walk us through uh, you know, why 2020 was different than all previous years. Oh, my. I'm not sure we have enough time on this uh, episode to actually talk about that. I mean, the context of the environment, the context of the world, the context of marketing and media, I, everything has really changed this year. I mean, we did a we did a chronology of uh, the road to the new fronts uh, from back in February to to now. It was uh, on again, off again uh, many, many times. We You know, we had even set up a contingency to decide, you know, if we had less than a certain number of presenters, we would just scrap the whole thing. So we knew that we uh, it was important for the marketplace to uh, connect buyers and sellers, so we didn't want to give it up. Uh, the, the question was, how can we do that responsibly and safely? So it was all about timing. Uh, and obviously, we tried to pick a time when we thought that the, the market and the world would be kind of emerging from uh, the pandemic. And as it turns out, the timing that we chose was um, pretty good. Uh, so as you saw last week, many presenters were able to put together very, very highly um, engaging and uh, entertaining uh, productions. So and the quality of production was uh, was very, very high. You know, the question of what's what's changed from last year, I think just about everything. Uh, and we've learned quite a bit from uh, this year's uh, activities to be able to take forward as we think about new fronts uh, for 2021. And I think it's worth rehearsing just at the highest possible level. We moved from a series of face-to-face -face events all around New York to a gigantic virtual event. Uh, the addressable market, you know, like the number of people who were able to participate by virtue of going virtual, by virtue of going virtual, it's a terrible phrase, uh, grew uh, a lot. Uh, in fact, David, you were talking about this earlier today, which is um, like we went from what is sort of the maximum capacity which uh, of the sort of who could be squeezed into Madison Square Garden into thousands of people. Can you, yeah. can you address that? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, so as you as you rightfully said, I mean, we, we were historically bound by kind of physical limitations of how many people could you fit into the Hulu theater or uh, which is quite large or Radio City. So that the largest New Friends presentations were like 3000 people and there were plenty others that were not nearly as large. We had uh, 12,500 uh, registered users for last week's um, activities. Uh, we're still compiling all the kind of data as to how many people tuned in uh, daily, how many unique uh, viewers. But suffice it to say, uh, every day was uh, surpassed what we have seen historically. So, um, you know, it was uh, and, and it helped to actually get more presenters actually um, uh, filled into kind of the daily activities as well. So it worked on both sides. Uh, it democratized the ability for people to uh, view it. Uh, and we had more presenters than ever before. The last thing I'll say on this, and then uh, I'll take a breath, is we also opened it up to uh, colleges and universities for the first time ever. We never could have done that if it was a, a physical event um, to give uh, historically black colleges and universities and folks that were uh, marketing and media uh, major oriented a taste of what is this crazy business that they could potentially come into. Uh, and there were over 400 college students who took advantage of that. So that never would have been possible uh, before. And we were really pleased that, uh, that that worked out. Right. And being, yeah, it, it is a little, this industry can be a little hard to understand uh, from the outside, but, but wading into the pool, I think is, is a, a, a great way of trying to drum up interest um, in having careers uh, with what we all do. Uh, let, let me talk about some stats. Uh, we thought we, we were tracking, you know, who was talking about what 80% of our presenters talked about the pandemic and coping with it uh, from the business side. 50% talked about Black Lives Matter. Um, the financial crisis and the November election were not big topics. Um, over 40% talked about new kinds of content and nearly 40% talked about new advertising formats. So it, the, some of the things that, that really wove the event together were quite quite striking. Uh, we gave uh, a lot of guidance, uh, I know, uh, that on embracing the, the amount of change that was coming out of what Monique Nelson calls the trisis, which is the three simultaneous events of the pandemic, the financial crisis, and the resurgence uh, uh, of interest in civil rights. Um, Eric, what were some of the buzzwords that you saw, like what were th what were other themes that were going through as uh, through the all of the presentations? Well, I think uh, some of the some of the terms that we heard thrown around uh, quite a bit were shoppable. Um, I think in this moment of uh, where brands are really trying to uh, to manage against you know the fact that that retail has changed so much, shoppable ads were being the new viewability in a sense, enabling. Uh, brands to connect with consumers in as few clicks as possible. That was a pretty resonant theme. You know, in addition to the, um, you know, just the cultural and national moment that we were all experiencing, I think it was a, um, a lot of presentations um, really did strike an emotional chord. And so you heard, for instance, publishers uh, like Snap really uh, talking about what, what ground level, uh, community level journalism might be going forward and and uh so they announced a really interesting uh you know content offering called 846 that that uh references george floyd's uh the, the george floyd moment 
But I think, you know, in general, it was really interesting hearing how publishers were talking both, uh, you know, about the promise of change and, and trying to make clear what they plan to do about it. You know, one thing I saw was a, a lot of interest in Gen Z as a unique demographic. And that might have been an observer effect because of the segments that I was covering sort of journalistically. Uh, but certainly Snap uh, and TikTok were both very interested in this. This reminds me of where we were about 15 years ago with millennials, where suddenly millennials became you know, uh, the topic that you uh, couldn't escape. Uh, not that we necessarily would want to. Uh, David, what about you in terms of, you know, key buzzwords that really were resonant, you know, echoing in your mind? Uh, the, you know, the, 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 the topic that came up over and over and over again, and you could take this from either side, uh, you know, the thing that was coming through my mind was that we're still living in, very much in a region frequency based planning world. Um, region frequency is a concept that's existed for a long, long time. And despite all the changes in innovation in the marketplace, we are still looking at how do we build a base plan and drive incremental reach, A, and B, how do we manage frequency? Uh, and that is a uh, very simple to say and hard to do as we have kind of this proliferation explosion of uh, choice and platforms and uh, walled and non-walled gardens. It's very, very difficult. It's a vexing challenge for the industry, but incremental reach was kind of a, was a kind of omnipresent um, uh, phrase that was going on uh, last week. The other one, the last one that kind of comes to mind is that everyone was talking about kind of viewer first, uh, user first, consumer first, viewer first. And that's, uh, I think that's a relatively obvious one. Uh, if it wasn't consumer or viewer first, I'm not sure who would be first. So uh, yeah. we're obviously all in service of uh, viewers and consumers. So that was another buzzword that stuck with me. Yeah, I I, uh, I noted also the frequency with which we we heard viewer first, um, but I never understood what it meant, and I still don't. Um, when you're talking about uh, new metrics, you're saying reach and frequency are you know like um, older tools being deployed in a newer environment. Do you have a sense of what the ideal metric would be? And Eric, feel free to to chime in on this one as well. Like, what what's a better metric, or what's a better series of concerns for people to be thinking about than reach and frequency? Well, I mean, the the, the uh, industry has really talked about a movement away from delivering impressions to delivering uh, something more meaningful or more meaningful to marketers. So whether that's a an actual sale or a business outcome or a surrogate to a sale. Um, and we've been talking about that for quite some time. Do we move to a world where uh, that's the focus as opposed to simply reaching consumers with an opportunity to see uh, on a variety of different uh, platforms or screens? And, you know, there's challenges inherent with all of those things. And there's nothing wrong necessarily uh, with reach and frequency as a kind of planning and buying mechanism. It's just uh, interesting and notable that that's been around for decades and there's very little uh, over the past 50 or 60 years that uh, has remained the same other than kind of this idea of rating points, reach, frequency, recency, uh, et cetera. So the question is, does the market pivot? I had to use the word pivot. I, I bet someone I was going to use the word pivot. So I win. Uh, on uh, Is it going to move to kind of uh, business outcomes or isn't it? And I think that that's kind of the, the attribution conversation is something that is uh, lots of folks are talking about, not the least of which is IAB and IAB Tech Lab. 
Eric, anything to add on the metric question? I would just say, you know, it's interesting. We, IB did its own, um, you know, buyer um, and brand survey before, uh, during the new funds. And one of the interesting findings was kind of not a surprise, but the larger, um, larger of those companies are more interested in the audience measurement side of the equation. You get to more to small and medium, then conversion tracking becomes, you know, front of, front of, uh, you know, at the, at the top of the, of the heap. So I think it's interesting, the KPI conversation and, and what, you know, we heard companies like Roku and others who are blessed with a lot of first party data. The question becomes for buyers now, how can I actually connect? What's a connective tissue between all the platforms where I can reach consumers and not only track the audience, but what happens, you know, further down the funnel. And uh, so that's kind of the holy grail that continues to run through it as well. You know, the other other thing that we heard as an emergent phenomenon again and again was a question about what habits on the viewer side we think are transient and what habits on the viewer side we think are permanent. Uh, are people, you know, how long is it going to take for people to be comfortable hugging again? I mean, that's not a viewer question. That's just a general behavior question. But what we saw, particularly in the early days of quarantine, was an extraordinary amount of time and energy going into streaming uh, that wasn't there before. Uh, and, you know, the, the pandemic has accelerated a lot of things, a lot of trends that we expected, uh, you know, to happen over the course of a longer period of time. So my question really is, um, for each of you, what do you think the kind of permanent behaviors or uh, if not permanent, because who wants to make that kind of bet? But the longer lasting behavior changes are going to be. Uh, I, for example, you know, again, this is not about streaming video, but I, I think that movies are movies in theater are going to have a very, very hard time recovering. Uh, and I think that um, TV on somebody else's schedule, uh, which is you know the way that I grew up watching TV, is going to be a long time recovering. What about the two of you? All right, go for it. I'll go well, second. Okay. Um, we, we have been uh, kind of following the age-old uh, meme that says at 27 days, a habit is formed, and then it takes 90 days to create a lifestyle. I think it's pretty clear from the metrics and data that we've been seeing is that that moment of the stay-at-home you know, lockdown certainly created um, you know, habits, and it's pretty clear that that has become a lifestyle for many as well. The, um, what that does to the marketplace then is, is for brands that, that will continue to need to reach younger, but also even the broader demographics of streaming, you know, CTV is going to be a place you can't avoid. You're actually going to have to figure out your, uh, you know, your digital playbook in the land, in the realm of, of CTV to reach audiences going forward. So that's a, that's a, uh, and that actually played out in the, uh, in the stats of the uh, uh, IV video spend report as well, where CTV was was really resilient amidst, amidst all the uncertainty of the pandemic. David, what the, about one thing you? I would add, the only thing I would add to that, um, and I think that's absolutely right, is kind of like the back to the thing I was talking about before, what is your base plan? The base plan has historically been, uh, what am I doing in kind of linear television? And then how do I fill the gaps? Uh, Samsung uh, last week talked about kind of if they, they have viewer ship of all the activities that go on on Samsung televisions, uh, the amount of streaming content that is consumed has now surpassed that of linear 
television content, which is, I think, a momentous uh, moment. Um, and, you know, the, the corollary to that is typically in CTV environments, the add to edit ratio or the amount of kind of ad load versus kind of cable television certainly is very, very different. And I think that once consumers get habituated to uh, a lighter ad load, it's going to be very difficult. It's going to put in, you know, increasing pressure on the rest of the ecosystem to actually follow uh, commensurate with that. So I think that's something to keep our eye on. Okay, well, we're going to go on to our next segment. Uh, David is going to stay with us. Eric, thank you so much for joining us on IB there. I'll see you later today. Um, we're going to uh, show you a video now. Uh, and the video is, uh, uh, oh, let's not start it yet. Uh, we're going to start a video to show you a little bit about the new fronts and a little bit about uh, our friends at Hulu, uh, who are, are helping us to produce this special streaming edition powered by Hulu of IME there. So let's roll the video, please. And we're back. And we're back. Uh, I'm Brad Behrens, Editor-in-Chief here at the Interactive Advertising Bureau. I'm going to be joined now, rejoined by David Cohen, President of the IAB. And also, please welcome onto the stream uh, Adam Gerber. He is the Global Chief Media Officer for Essence. And John Anselmo, who is the Chief Digital Officer for Omnicom North America. Uh, thank you so much, both of you and David, uh, for joining us uh, on IAB there. Welcome. Uh, we're going to talk about the view from the buy side uh, for the new fronts. All three of you are veterans of the new fronts. Uh, and I would love to know, let's start with Adam. Uh, Adam, let's ask you to be optimistic. What worked for you? What was what was, what what worked? What did you think? Hey, this is fun. Uh, what was better? Uh, we, can, we can go on to the other things after. That's very much that's very much in that character. I think that that's perfect. That's a great. I couldn't have scripted a better question. The the word optimism with me is like you know who knows. But um, now look, I I, I actually 
you know, I was I was involved with the IEP from the start of when David and Randall and the team started thinking about how they were going to address the new fronts in the world of COVID. Um, I honestly think you guys hit a home run. Um, I never could have imagined that you would have pulled off as an organization with your publishing partners. Um, the amount of content and, um, you know, the level of, uh, of professionalism that, that, um, that everyone did over the course of last week. I mean, I, I think it's optimistic in that it showed us how quickly we can, not to use a word that David's used, just pivot uh, to kind of the reality of the situation that we're working in. And, you know, most importantly, I was excited to see how, you know, the content side of the business stepped up and, and really tried to, to put together their message in a way that was conducive to how we all had to consume it uh, in our homes. So I, I think that says a lot about the industry. It says a lot about kind of how um, we're all changing and uh, doing it rapidly and um, continuing to deliver for our, our clients. Well, John Anselmo, first of all, thank you so much for stepping in for Catherine uh, at the last minute. I really appreciate it. Uh, and then I want to know the same question to you, which is, you know, what struck you uh, as uh, as the, the sort of the, the optimistic take, takeaway from the New Fronts last week? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll second what Adam said. I thought, you know, it was a home run. I thought that, you know, the agility to pull it off was unbelievable. I was also on some of those early calls. So I totally agree there. I think the agility on the publishing side was also impressive as well to, you know, really change your whole stories. But also, uh, also, what I really enjoyed hearing was the agility and how the various publishers changed their entire strategies, how they brought videos in homes, how they basically spent the last three months not missing a beat. And I thought that was, you know, really just said a lot for the industry and in that while all this is going on, you know, when, when push comes to shove, we're actually able to make big changes in an industry that sometimes seems like it never moves fast enough. So I thought that was great. Um, personally, I also, I think that the, you know, change of venue or, you know, having to do it virtually and into people's homes, it required the publishers also sharpen their teeth a lot. So we really got to the point, right? It was, you really had to hone in on what those elevator pitches were, make sure you broke through, not just a lot of talking heads and pomp and circumstance. And, you know, I think as we talk about, um, you know, what's sort of a blip on the radar versus what becomes habitual moving forward. I think that exercise, I feel like we got a lot more power from the presentations because everyone had to be very focused on those most salient points that they want people to take away. And I think that's something that will be, you know, a legacy irregardless of however the, the future new fronts play out. So, David, uh, the Friday before New Fronts, you and I sat down with uh, Lynn and Molly, the co-founders and co-CEOs of Brandverge. And Brandverge was or is a platform. And the reason that I'm bringing it up is it was uh, our attempt to uh, supplement just watching videos with an ability to, to do what we didn't have this year which was uh, to network, you know, that that was the missing piece, uh, missing piece for most of our events right now is is the hallway. And and so, David, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about Brandverge and what the, the goal behind that was, and then I'm going to ask uh, you two gentlemen uh, if you if you did anything with the platform. So, yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things that is very hard to replicate in a virtual context is the 
well, A, the kind of serendipity and social uh, aspect and the connectivity of kind of uh, buyer and seller uh, in a uh, in a typical New Fronts environment that happens over a cocktail or in a social setting. In this environment, we had to do something that was actually going to be the connective tissue or to help that. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that everyone saw last week was there, there was a ton of information. You know, I, I know that I was just sitting watching and there was a lot of data kind of one after the other, and it was hard to kind of keep track. So we wanted to figure out what is the platform that will help with that connectivity, A, uh, to enable a conversation, virtual or real, to happen after the event and to have access to supplemental information should uh, buyers, agencies or brands uh, want to have access to it. So Brandverge, you know, we, both John and, and Adam, we have a, as I think they alluded to, we have a call every week with a bunch of um, agency folks. And we asked what are kind of some of the companies that might be helpful in doing that. And Brandverge had some industry recognition already. So there were some agencies that were already using it. So we didn't have to start from square one to teach a new platform to get people habituated to it. So it was a, it was a no brainer really uh, from the, from the get go. I just connected with, uh, uh, with Molly and Lynn this morning just to see if people have access to it, accessed it and several hundred uh, unique people have already done, done so. Uh, and we would imagine that once we go live with all of our VOD content, which will be this afternoon, um, there will be even more people that will use the platform to connect. So, um, and we're in the process now of planning our podcast up front for September, which will likely have a component of that too. So this is, I think, the new normal. Uh, hopefully folks will take advantage of it. Uh, but it, is, it was our attempt, and I think so far so good, at making some connective tissue, uh, if there needs to be connective tissue, because obviously lots of agencies already speak to many of these publishers all the time. But if there is one that you don't necessarily, um, this could be a good kind of entree uh, into that. Let me do a quick PSA uh, and just tease something out there, which is, uh, for people who were registered users of the New Fronts, if you did miss something or if, and I concur, David, that there were so many data points flying by that I was you know, madly scribbling and often, you know, felt, gosh, wait, just, I, I need to see that again. Um, if you're like me and you want a second, second shot uh, at these things, you'll be able to do so uh, later today. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, John, did you have a chance to look at the platform for Brandverge? Did we adequately convey how to go about doing it? Sort of this is a, me asking for a report card on our messaging in some ways. I, I, I feel like uh, I may not have done the work. <laughs> I can't, I can't lie. It's the, the good Midwestern in me. I, I haven't yet. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I, you know, I've, I've been doing this long enough. I do have a lot of direct connections with pretty much everyone that was, uh, was uh it had their presentations and you know I, I you know missing you know the the in-person interactivity is definitely you know it's something that no matter what you do you're not going to replicate that so, but at the same time you know a lot of the conversations i was having with a lot of folks on my team and my peers and my bosses was happening in real time just over text messages i mean maybe we're old school but there was a healthy dialogue that was still going on even outside of that platform um that you know i found um you know, it was it, heartfelt about it. It was good to see that, you know, there was a virtual version of that still going on behind the scenes, even outside of the platform. I will, I will give it a, I'll give it a look though, I promise. Adam, uh, what did you miss? Uh, let's, let's ask you the pessimistic question. What, what, uh, what, what, uh, what didn't you like about the new friends? What did you miss about the face-to-face? 
Just keep in mind, we only well, have a couple I, minutes. I, <laughs> yeah, I, well, first I'll just say John wasn't the only one who didn't do his homework, so I, I don't want to leave him hanging. <laughs> I also have not used the platform, but I intend to. Last, last week, as many people in the industry know, last week was a fairly busy week, so we've all had lots going on. But um, yes. no, like what, what, uh, what did I feel like I missed? Um, you know, I missed the community aspect of seeing people in person. Uh, you know, we all run such crazy lives these days. Things are moving at such a rapid pace that, you know, the one thing I always look forward to, whether it's the New Fronts or other um, industry events where we're gathering in person, it's to see my colleagues, um, it, not just from the sales side, but especially from the buy side. It's to, to see them in person and talk um, and, and, and get a sense of how they're um, kind of navigating the waters and, and just to, to check in with people. I mean, that's a big part of what this industry is. I don't think we should lose sight, lose sight of the fact that, you know, we're a group of people who all like each other and want to do things together and, and, and actually maintain the personal connection. So. Um, that was something I missed. I'll tell you, I, I also think that, um, you know, the, the pizzazz of a lot of the events was really tough to deliver um, in, in the setting that we, the, that we dealt with this year. Now, that isn't necessarily a bad thing, um, because I do think some, sometimes it gets a little overblown and, and, and too much is made of the talent or the, the star power or you know, the production values of the events that were done live. Um, but I do think they add a little bit of emphasis to, you know, the, the quality of the content that these publishers are producing and the investment that they make in bringing that content uh, out to their consumers. So I do think that, that that's something I missed a little bit of. Could I John, ask a question? Uh, you want Please. I'm going off the reservation maybe, but uh, I mean, I, it wasn't long ago that I was on the, the buy side and I remember kind of the the time management aspect of uh, new fronts, up fronts, uh, combined with all the pre-meetings. I mean, it was like weeks and weeks of kind of uh, the lead up, the meeting, the post meeting. Um, you know, we went out to the market in one of our pulse studies and we asked buyers, is it time for us to combine into a single video marketplace? And fully 50% of the market said, yes, it is. Um, so the qu the question really, I think that would be interesting to get both of these gentlemen's perspective is: it, Does that make sense? Does it make sense for us to? Uh, is there a need for a digital marketplace and a non-digital marketplace in the video space? A and B. Maybe we don't have an answer for this. How do we uh, avoid all the time that is spent with the pre-meetings, uh, and then when you get to the meeting, you've actually seen all the content already? So uh, I open that up to either of you that wants to take a crack at that. I can, I guess I'll take a crack at it. I mean, I, I think, look, it is, it is a single marketplace. They've got their nuances. It differs by client and whatnot sometimes, but it's a single marketplace. I guess, you know, the pre-meetings are going to happen. The pre-meetings happen this time. Still, they were happening, you know, pre-COVID even. Like, it starts, it, it's, you know, I feel like some of the pre-meetings are starting pre-holidays at this point when it comes down to it. If you can't put it back earlier and earlier, and as what we're doing becomes more and more complex, right? You can't just, even you know, CES used to be the kickoff. CES isn't enough time to really get the wheels in motion to make a lot of the fundamental changes that we all know we need to make. There's just, they're complex now. 
Um, you know, when it comes to should it all be one big week or two big weeks or whatever, my my only argument against that has nothing to do with it being different marketplaces, but honestly, just time to breathe, right? Like to, to have a few weeks spaced out logistically, I think that, you know, going for three, four, five days for one week, you need those two weeks to recover, get back to the work, um, you know, sort of compartmentalize what you've heard and make sense of it and, you know, get back into something else. I think it's less about two marketplaces more than it is really just about pacing it out so that people can consume, digest, analyze, recover, and move move on to it in a few more weeks. Adam, what about you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'd add to that. I, I agree with everything John said, and I'd add to it slightly. You know, absolutely. We On the buy side, we're already treating this as one marketplace. I mean, we think about in terms of how, how we transact slightly differently in a traditional linear world versus the impression-based world of, of digital. But at the end of the day, it's video. And as you saw most people talking about reach incrementality in their presentations, that implies that it's one marketplace. We're trying to figure yeah. out how to reach audiences through video, right? So um, I, I think that's important to distinguish. But I'd, I'd, I'd remind people that the reason that the traditional network TV upfronts existed um, was to launch their programming slate for the fall. And they, they were dealing in a capacity constrained um, marketplace. And it's a very different world today with the fragmentation and the amount of choices that exist. And I would just argue that this notion that we need to have one period of time where everyone announces all of their programming slates and then everyone is kind of competing and, and negotiating and market at the same time, I think that reality is not how we're going to evolve as an industry. I think we're going to have portions of um, of consumption that are highly constrained, whether that be sports or tentpole events um, or, or um, you know, other things that live in both the traditional broadcast environment and the digital environment where there will be a futures-based marketplace because everyone wants it and there's only so little of it. But I think increasingly what you're seeing is a vast majority of the video marketplace is operating in a much more real-time, and um, you know, platform-based environment where the notion of an upfront negotiation is not the same as what it used to be. So I'm not sure that we need to keep thinking about this upfront, new front. Does it all kind of happen in two weeks? Uh, kind of concept. Uh, I think we're thinking about it the wrong way. I think that there will be year-long buying and a reason for year-long conversation around much of the video marketplace. I think there will be parts of it that need to be addressed on a futures basis. David, you seem poised hey, to say something. I love that. No, I I love the uh, I love the counterbalance or the counterbailing uh, thoughts on that. I, I I think that it'll be curious to see. I think that you're right. I think that some of the market will be just in time. I think we're seeing the kind of upfront marketplace play itself out in exactly that way this year. You know, there's uh, kind of a, everyone. There's a divergence of uh, clients are doing what's right for them and their business planning cycle. It's just a question of um, how do you bring some order to what could be uh, a great deal of chaos in terms of kind of the opportunity for the video marketplace? But uh, I think that we're gonna we're gonna pick that through uh, for next year. John, uh, let me ask you: Are there any any presentations specifically, or any pieces of content that that really excited you in terms of like, oh yeah, I know 
this client is going to want to be a part of that. Um, speaking only as a, a viewer, um, I was very, uh, very, my ears perked up and I leaned forward when during the Hulu presentation, when they talked about woke, which is this really interesting uh, looking pro program. And I think is going to get a lot of attention uh, from viewers. I don't know about advertisers, but uh, uh, John Anselmo, tell us about what, what presentations you really, you really dug. Yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, I'm looking at more of a macro level versus, you know, tied strategically client by client right now. But I agree. I think Hulu's presentation was fantastic and not just because they're sponsoring this, but, you know, I thought it really was. You see the, you know, the the power of, you know, Disney coming together in the platform and how they brought in, you know, FX on Hulu and things of those sorts. I think across the board, what excites me the most is just, and I say this isn't, has nothing to do with even the pandemic year and all the, the crises we're dealing with, but, you know, I feel like we're on that exponential growth curve of more and more quality content from non-network sources, right? So the, the 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 supply of just really good quality content is going through the roof. Um, you know, I thought that uh, the the brand cast was really good and interesting. Um, you know, the way that they did that, um, I thought that Condé's was really good as well. Um, again, adjusting with Roger at the very beginning, doing the live feed, but you know, going to the point of the incrementality, I thought that was one of the most interesting things that popped up throughout a lot of the presentations was, you know, the things that really got me were the the um, absolute, you know, growth of supply of true quality content, coupled with the fact that, you know, it really is, we're starting to bring some of those metrics together so that it allows us to, you know, as much as we, you know, think about and try and act in a single video environment, but really truly bring those environments together um, in all facets of how we're working. So I'd say that would be it. Adam, what about you? Yeah, I, I have to agree. The the Hulu presentation, I mean, look, they they, they bring it home every year. Um, they, they just do a phenomenal job. I thought this year, you know, the focus on the content, the focus on the Disney, uh, the breadth of the Disney portfolio and the integration that they're working on was um, was really important to focus on. I want to. I just want to call out. I thought the Vice presentation was exceptionally provocative, with um, with some of the you know focus that they put on how advertisers and clients and agencies are trying to manage where they show up. Uh, in many cases, potentially not managing it the right way that they should show up. And I thought that that was a good call out for them to make to focus the industry on. You know, being a little bit more, um, a little bit more focused on how we build our uh, our guardrails um, around where things uh, are deployed. Um, you know, I, I all all transparency. I used to work at Quantcast, so this isn't a plug for them. I'm not going to call out any of the specifics they they mentioned, other than saying that I thought the the presentation by Quantcast just um, made a point to show how important the role of data is in today's in today's marketing environment understanding real-time dynamics of what's going on and how consumers are engaging with content differently over time was a really interesting insight um, and i thought snap did a great job i mean i really i really love some of the things that snap is doing in terms of um you know their their ar uh focus some of the programming and uh, you know initiatives that they have coming out around new ad formats that they announced. So I just I I, I like that uh, that presentation as well. I thought it was good. 
David, any last questions before we, we move along? I don't think, well, yeah, I have one last question. Um, I thought I didn't, but I do. The, we tried this year to do thematic or loosely thematic days. So news and audio um, was one. Did, did that work for you? Did you think that that was uh, a smart thing for us to do, kind of just trying to uh, group like companies and presenters together? I love it. I mean, and yeah. assuming we get back in person sometime in the future, I think it will be fantastic for that as well. I mean, some of the, the hardest parts of, you know, especially with clients flying into town, our offices flying into town to, to be able to align it thematically to better manage people's schedules just helps out so much. So I, I think we need to keep doing that 100%. Yeah, I, I, assume I agree. I was, I, I was going to agree. I, I, I loved it. I love the approach. My, my issue, quite honestly, is just like, can we all, can we all sit down for three hours straight at a time yeah. and, um, and do it. And I, and, and I just think that's something we need to think about if we, if we end up continuing to, to live in a virtual world. Well, David Cohen, uh, John Anselmo, Adam Gerber, thank you so much for joining us on Ivy there today. I really appreciate it. So, See you. Thank, thank you. Guys. Great. We're now going to move to our third segment. Uh, I'm pleased to introduce Nina Munoz. She is the director of the Video Center of Excellence here at the IAB. She's going to be uh, talking with Mary Jane Kroll of Lexus uh, about innovative partnership opportunities for brands on streaming platforms. Um, let's bring them onto the street. Thank you, Brad. And thank you for joining us today, MJ. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, so I'm super excited to talk to you today and pick up on some of the themes that we've already heard being discussed today. I mean, we're going to be talking about um, innovation in content and innovation in advertising, uh, specifically highlighting the opportunity that custom content can provide marketers in a streaming environment. Um, so a lot of great things to cover today. And before we dive into all of that, um, perhaps you can just share a brief overview of your role at Lexus. Sure. Uh, at Lexus, I oversee national media planning and buying for, for the brand nationally and also have oversight to our Lexus Dealer Association planning as well. And additionally, my role includes product integrations and uh, co-promotional activity uh, related to product integrations. And I know in the purview of your role, you're kind of overseeing it all across all uh, channels, whether that be video. You talked a little bit about those product integrations. Um, and we were hearing in the discussion earlier just the conversation around convergence and being able to think about your campaigns in this cohesive manner, whether that be across digital video, linear TV, connected TV. Um, so as you're thinking about your campaigns for Lexus, how do you think about the role of streaming video across the broader context of your media mix? Sure. Um, I mean, overall, we're really looking at streaming as a part of our overall uh, video mix specifically, especially given that uh, the bulk of stream content is viewed on a television 
screen. Um, so that essentially uh, helps us kind of put it in a framework where we can evaluate uh, the entirety of a consumer's uh, journey with viewing what is essentially television content, regardless of actually how they're consuming it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we also heard um, earlier Brad and David and Eric talking about you know, in the world of this global pandemic, what behaviors will stick? And talking about this shift to streaming video. Um, and I think a lot of marketers have probably utilized this time to say, hey, how do we reach audiences on a connected TV? How should we be leaning in? Um, given that you at Lexus have been leaning into that environment, what have you been finding works for, for your brand, um, are there any learnings that you can share to marketers who may be on the cusp of, of trying it or are currently in a test and learn mode? So, uh, you know, I, I would say for us, it, as much as we've obviously been witness like everyone else to the dramatic, uh, you know, shifts that we've seen in uh, consumption as, as the stay-at-home orders all set in, we were already adding, you know, streaming and increasing streaming as a part of our mix as we were watching our consumers add that to their viewing repertoire. So um, ultimately, you know, that was already a part of what we were doing and we were able to, you know, um, benefit from the fact that we were already there in a major, major way. Um, in terms of learnings and so forth. I think that um, it definitely comes down to a balance of, you know, adding that overall um, incrementality to a buy versus also really honing in on strategic sponsorships that actually give us greater visibility and more ability to implement um, content much in the way we did uh, with the program that I know we're going to be discussing on Hulu. Um, we've also seen that streaming really can drive um, increased brand consideration for Lexus, increased web actions for the brand as well. Um, so we know it's a place that works. And rather than just reacting to kind of the current environment, um, this is sort of a long-term strategy for us that we expect to continue. And we, of course, will continue learning um, with every investment that we make. And, and picking on that theme that you talked about of being able to add incrementality. Um, it was mentioned earlier in today's uh, show, and, and it was a huge theme across New Friends, talking about how these connected TV environments can add incremental reach to a marketer's overall campaign. Um, so how are you doing that today for Lexus? How are you able to evaluate what incremental reach that channel adds to your broader efforts? Well, that's an excellent question, and I will have to uh, own the fact that currently we're relying a lot on our partners to actually demonstrate their incrementality, um, which we very much appreciate the data they're willing to share with us. But uh, of course, we we want to have our own solutions in place as well, and we're actually currently actively investigating solutions from ad-serving partners to really measure duplication and um, inversely incremental reach. And we also find that uh, frequency capping is uh, going to be an important tool to be able to utilize in this space uh, as well. And that, and that mirrors a lot of what we're hearing in the marketplace as well. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's important marketers are doing it, but still figuring out how to fine tune um, those methods and methodologies. Right, right. So we're going to pivot a little bit um, and talk about this exciting campaign that you had with Hulu. Um, we love to talk about creative innovation and, and how marketers can go past your traditional 15-second or 30-second ad um, to really reach their target consumers with the message that they're looking to do. And I know earlier this year, Lexus partnered with Hulu and created some custom content with uh, the show Little Fires Everywhere. And so before we dive into that specific partnership, just to help level set, is custom content something that um, is in Lexus's toolkit for creative? Is that something that you've leaned into doing in the past? Yes, for sure. And, uh, you know, I would say for us, it manifests in a multitude of ways. And ultimately, we're always trying to find ways to leverage um, our, you know, the really robust uh, creativity of our partners to extend our uh, campaign message into their content in a way that's really meaningful and uh, and brings value to their viewers and to the consumers of their content. So uh, we're always looking for first market types of opportunities. Um, we've had success with Hulu, both on Little Fires Everywhere and in the past, um, we have sponsored other uh, big debuts on on the platform and uh, it we find that it just gives us um, a, a really great environment to both extend our message and learn uh, in, for what what really works best for the consumers of that content yes and to um, now talk a little bit more specifically about the little fires everywhere for the few of us on on the call here today who may not have seen it anywhere a minute of context. Um, it is based on a book that was set in 1990, so a little bit of a look back here. Um, it mm-hmm. follows two families. I-, I wrote down some notes: a picture-perfect Richardson <laughs> family and a mysterious mother-daughter who upend their lives. So there's a lot mm-hmm. about um, secrets and, and a disaster and, and very sus- suspicious and suspense. And so um, it's a good one if you haven't seen it. And I'd love to hear a little bit about how this partnership with um, Lexus came to be and and how it played out in the context of the show. Absolutely. Uh, It's such a good show. So um, engaging and so juicy in so many ways uh, for for all of us. But it actually, this is where... um, where and, and I don't know that a lot of brands are organized this way, but where it really um, is a benefit that my role includes uh, product integration specifically because our conversations actually started uh, with Hello Sunshine, uh, who originally uh, uh, created the series um, from Celeste Ng's, uh, amazing book. And uh, they asked us if we wanted to do a, a vintage product placement. And Lexus had been also um, the vehicle uh, that uh, Elena's character, played by Reese Witherspoon, actually drove um, in the book as well. So uh, we, we don't often do uh, or pursue vintage placements, but we thought that this really um, made sense because the LX, which is featured, is our uh, flagship 
uh, SUV. It was then, it is now. And um, we thought that it really made sense to pursue a vintage placement. Once we actually uh, started going down that path with uh, Hello Sunshine and we understood that the show uh, was going to come uh, to Hulu's platform, um, uh, which also Hulu, of course, is a really important partner for us, we started talking with Hulu about how we could build a more integrated sponsorship around um, our, our placement in the show, knowing that, yes, it's great to be able to show, uh, you know, the history of the brand and the, the, the flagship in its original state, but now here we are being able to also show um, how far that vehicle has come in its, in its modern uh, iteration, which is, you know, beautiful and commanding and all of those things. So we're able to show, uh, surround that content with the current um, version of the LX. So it was, it was just a really fun way to leverage something that uh, could have just existed as a placement and make it really bigger than that. Yeah, we were discussing earlier um, the fact that it was this vintage placement. It it was very cool in the first five minutes of the show to see Reese Witherspoon driving in her car on her big car phone and telling the person that she was talking to that she has to go because her minutes are running out, which is uh, exactly. such a blast from the past, um, but was a fun way just to kind of draw attention to the time period and, and where they were um, physically in the car. Yes, for sure. For sure. I remember actually bragging to my friends back in those days um, that I made a phone call on my dad's car phone and it was, you know, felt it was a big flex back then. (laughs) Yes. Um, Now, these pieces of custom content, um, they are such a treat to see as a viewer, but they can be a big undertaking. involving many different types of partners. It's not like you just decide to do this piece of custom content and the next day you're shooting. Um, So maybe you can share a little bit of detail of um, how you partnered with Hulu, the teams that you partnered with there, um, and even external teams that helped pull this integration together. Yes, absolutely. This um, these types of efforts always end up being um, really uh, very integrated with a number of teams that are participating. And in this case, um, we we worked with Hulu, we worked with Hello Sunshine, uh, our uh, agency Team One, uh, and their creative teams came in um, and and really helped uh, kind of give the idea shape and and really put sort of the Lexus brand stamp on it, if you will. Um, And they were able to create these, uh, this content that first and foremost needs to have value to the the viewer of that show, right? If they don't want to, uh, you know, learn more about what you're doing with this content, and if it doesn't reveal something valuable to them about the show that they're they're uh, loving and binging and enjoying watching, then you you know your your chance to connect with them uh, for the brand really is lost. So first and foremost, absolutely bringing value to that consumer. Um, and that's really the great thing about having the integrated teams is is everybody sort of understands um, how to guide that process, right? Our, our team at Team One understands what's really important for the brand. Um, Hello Sunshine and, and Hulu definitely understand their property and what's going to really be valuable to, to their consumer. And as a result, 
we ended up creating these, this, uh, really the core um, piece of content was a featurette uh, that uh, featured uh, Liz Telegar, who is the showrunner, and Celeste Eng, who wrote the book. Um, and they were in the modern day LX talking about the kinds of important conversations that take place uh, between the characters and the car, and a little bit about why, why is a car such a good setting um, for these really sometimes very emotionally charged conversations. I've personally had those types of conversations with my kids, I, my husband, and, and friends um, that we all can recall. And this all goes back to Lexus really as a, at its core, a human-centered brand. We start with understanding the driver and their needs and developing everything else from there. So looking at this sort of intimate forum um, for these conversations and wanting that forum to be safe and protective and provide that space where you can kind of bear your soul a little bit. And it actually helps that you're facing forward and not always having to face the person you're having an intense conversation with as well that I think fosters uh, the vehicle for that environment. So it just worked really well in connecting with the content of the show and gave consumers a really nice um, peek behind the curtain from these two very uh, amazing women and who uh, developed this amazing show. Sorry, it I went was, on and It on really there. was. <laughs> I, it was a really fun integration, and we could talk about this for so much longer, but I know we're coming up on time here. Um, but just, you know, from, from your response, like what I take out of that is that you took a consumer insight of people being able to open up and have these intimate conversations in cars and use that in your integration Having these integrated teams um, really helps have this seamless delivery and execution. Um, and you were also able to, to give it legs, um, not only being integrated in the show, but kind of doing these custom branded pieces of content. Um, so I'm sure that's going to be helpful for our buyers and, and marketers who are listening here today. And thank you so much for joining us and sharing that insight. And with that, I'm going to kick it back to Brad, who's going to close out today's show here. Thank you, Nina. Uh, thank you, MJ. MJ Kroll of Lexus, Nina Munoz of the Video Center of Excellence. That was a wonderful conversation, and I'm really grateful to the both of you. Um, thank you also to Hulu, our partners in the Ivy Their Streaming Edition, powered by Hulu, for making today's show possible. On tomorrow's IAB There, we're excited to welcome Peter Naylor, the Vice President of Sales for Snap, where he'll be discussing with uh, the IAB's show Goldstein's successful selling strategies on emerging platforms. Don't miss it. IAB There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, John Ward, and Tufika Mahinadin. I'm Editor-in-Chief Brad Behrens. Thank you for watching. That's our show. Come back tomorrow because if it's 2 p.m. Eastern on a weekday, you know that it's time to IAB there. Bye-bye, everybody.